Section 5 of Amusement Only. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roeg 11. Amusement Only by Richard Marsh. The Strange Occurrences in Canterston Jail. Chapter 2. The Chaplain as an authority on witchcraft. Major Hardinge remained in the jail that night. He stayed in the governor's house as Mr. Paley's guest. He expressed himself very strongly about the events of the day. I'll see this thing through if it takes me a week. The whole affair is incredible to me. It strikes me, Paley, that they've been making a fool of you. The governor combed his hair with his fingers. His official manner had temporarily gone. He seemed depressed. I assure you, the doors were locked. Of course the doors were locked. They used the wrong keys to open them. It was a got-up thing. Not by the officers. By whom, then? I don't see how the prisoners could have lent a hand. I know the officers, and I will answer for them, every man. As for the wrong keys being used, I know the keys as well as anyone. I tried them, and not a lock would yield to me. But they did yield. What explanation have you to give of that? I wish I could explain. And again the governor combed his hair. I'll have an explanation tomorrow. You see if I don't. But the Major never did. On the morrow, punctually at 6 a.m., an imposing procession started to unlock. There were the inspector, governor, chief warder, second warder, and the warder who carried the keys. I don't think we shall have much difficulty in getting the men out of their cells this time, remarked the Major. They did not. Good, good God, he sputtered when they reached the corridor. What, what on earth's the meaning of this? He had predicted rightly. They would have no difficulty in getting the men out of their cells. They were out already. Men, the bedding, the planks, and all. There was a man fast asleep in bed in front of each cell door. I thought I had given instructions that a special watch was to be kept all night, the Major roared. So there has been, answered the chief warder, whose head and face and neck were purple. Major Slatter here has only just gone off duty. Well now, Slatter, what's the meaning of this? I don't know, protested Slatter, whose mountain of flesh seemed quivering like jelly. It's not a minute ago since I went to get my keys, and they was all inside their cells when I went down. Who let them out, then? The Major glared at him, incredulity in every line of his countenance. I don't know. I swear it wasn't me. I suppose they let themselves out then, you men. Although this short dialogue had been conducted by no means sato voce, the noise did not seem to have had the slightest effect in rousing the prisoners out of slumber. Even when the major called to them, they gave no sign. You 
men, he shouted again. It's no good shamming Abraham with me. He stooped to shake the man who was lying on the plank at his feet. Good, good God! And the man's not dead? Dead? cried the governor, kneeling by the major's side upon the stones. The sleeper was very still. He was a man of some forty years of age, with nut-brown tangled hair and beard. If not a short-sentence man, he still was in the early stages of his term, for he lay on the bare boards of the plank, with the rug, blanket, and sheet, wrapped closely around him, so they might take, as far as possible, the place of the core mattress, which was not there. The bed was not a bed of comfort, yet his sleeping was sound, strangely sound. If he breathed at all, it was so lightly as to be inaudible. On his face was that dazed, strained expression which we sometimes see on the faces of those who, without a moment's warning, have been suddenly visited by death. I don't think he's dead, the governor said. He seems to be in some sort of trance. What's the man's name? Itchcock. He's one of the opters. He's got a month. It was Warder Slater who gave the information. The governor took the man by the shoulder and tried to rouse him out of sleep. Itchcock! Itchcock! Come, wake up, my man! It's all right! He's coming, too. He's waking up! He did wake up and that so suddenly as to take the party by surprise. He sprang upright on the plank, nothing on but an attenuated prison shirt, and glared at the officials with looks of unmistakable surprise. Oh, no! What's up? What's the meaning of this? Major Harding replied, suspicion peeping from his eyes. That is what we want to know, what we intend to know. What does it mean? Why aren't you in your cell? The man seemed for the first time to perceive where he was. Strike me lucky if I ain't outside. Somebody must have took me out when I was asleep. Then, realizing in whose presence he was, I beg your pardon, sir, but someone's took me out. The one who took you out? took all the others, too. The Major gave a side glance at Warder Slater. That intelligent officer seemed to be suffering agonies. The prisoner glanced along the corridor. If all the blessed lot of them ain't out, too! They were not only all out, but they were all in the same curiously trance-like sleep. Each man had to be separately roused, and each woke with the same startling, sudden bound. No one seemed more surprised to find themselves where they were than the men themselves. And this was not the case in one ward only, but in all the wards in the prison. No wonder the officials felt bewildered by the time they had gone the round. There's one thing certain remarked Warder Slater to Warder Puffin, wiping the perspiration from his, Warder Slater's, brow. If I let them out in one ward, I couldn't hardly have let them out in all, 
not to mention that i don't see how a man of my build's going to carry eight and forty men bed bedding and all out bodily and that without disturbing one of them from their sleep as the official party was returning through b ward inspecting the men who were standing at attention in their day cells the officer in charge advanced to the governor one man missing sir number twenty seven sir mankell sir the chief warder started if possible he turned a shade more purple even than before fetch me the key of the night cells he said it was brought they went upstairs the major the governor the chief and second warders sure enough they found the missing man standing at attention in his night cell waiting to be let out the only man in the prison whom they had found in his place the chief warder unlocked him in silence they followed him as he went downstairs when the major and mr paley found themselves alone both of them seemed a little bewildered well major what do you think of it now it's a got-up thing i'd stake my life it's a got-up thing what do you mean a got-up thing some of the officers know more about it than they have chosen to say that man slater for instance but i'll have the thing sifted to the bottom before i go i never heard of anything more audacious in the whole of my career the governor smiled but he made no comment on the major's observation it was arranged that an inquiry should be held after chapel during chapel the fresh subject was added to the list of those which already called for prompt inquiry probably there is no more delicate and difficult position than that of a prison chaplain if any man doubt this let him step into a prison chaplain's shoes and see he must have two faces and each face must look in an exactly opposite way one towards authority he is an official an upholder of the law and the other towards the defiers of authority he is the criminal's best friend it requires the wisest of men to do this duty so as to please both sides and he must please both sides or fail as has already been hinted mr hewitt the chaplain of canterston jail was not the wisest of men he was in the uncomfortable but not uncommon position of being disliked by both the rival houses he meant well but he was not an apt interpreter of his own meaning he blundered sometimes on the prisoner's toes and sometimes on the toes of the officials before the service began the governor thought of giving him a hint not in the course of it to touch on the events of the last two days but previous hints of the same kind had not by any means been well received and he refrained exactly what he feared would happen happened both the inspector and the governor were present at the service possibly the chaplain supposed this to be an excellent opportunity of showing the sort of man he was one full of zeal at any rate before the service was over before pronouncing the benediction he came down to the altar rail in a way they knew so well the governor outwardly unruffled inwardly groaned i have something to say to you 
when he said this those who knew him knew exactly what was coming or they thought they did for for once in a way they were grievously wrong when the chaplain had got so far he paused it was his habit to indulge in these eloquent pauses but it was not his habit to behave as he immediately did while they were waiting for him to go on almost forecasting the words he would use a spasm seemed to go all over him and he clutched the rail and spoke and what he said was this bust the screws and blast em the words were shouted rather than spoken in the very act of utterance he clung on to the rail as though he needed its support to enable him to stand the chapel was intensely still the men stared at him as though unable to believe their eyes and ears the chaplain was noted for his little eccentricities but this was the first time they had taken such a shape as this uh, that's not what i meant to say the words came out with a gasp mr hewitt put his hand up to his brow that's not what i meant to say he gave a frightened glance around suddenly his gaze became fixed and he looked intently at some object right in front of him his eyes assumed a dull and fish-like stare he hung onto the rail his surpliced fingers trembling as with palsy words fell from his lips with feverish volubility what's the good of a screw i'd like to know did you ever know one who was worth his salt i never did look at that beast slater fat great fat brute what did get a man three days bread and water as soon as look at him a little bread and water do him good look at old murray call a man like that the chief warder i wonder what a chief warder fathead's like as for the governor as for the governor as for the governor the chapel was in confusion the officers rose in their seats mr paley stood up in his pew looking whiter than he was wont to do it seemed as though the chaplain was struggling with an unseen antagonist he writhed and twisted contending as it were with something or someone which appeared to be in front of him his sentence remained unfinished all at once he collapsed and sinking into a heap lay upon the steps of the altar still take the men out said the governor's quiet voice the men were taken out the schoolmaster was already at the chaplain's side with him were two or three of the prisoners who sang in the choir the governor and the inspector came and looked down at the senseless man seems to be a sort of fit the schoolmaster said let someone go and see if the doctor has arrived ask him to come up here at once with that the governor left the chapel the inspector going with him it's no good our staying he'll be all right i i i don't feel quite well major harding looked at him shrewdly out of the corners of his eyes does he drink not that i'm aware of i have never heard of it before i should say certainly not is he mad no he has his peculiarities but he certainly is not mad 
Is he subject to fits? I have not known of his having one before. When they reached the office, the major began to pace about. That chaplain of yours must be stark mad. If it's so, it's a very sudden attack. Did you hear what he said? Very well, indeed. Never heard such a thing in my life. Is he in the habit of using such language? Hardly. Perhaps we had better leave it till we hear what the doctor says. Possibly there is some simple explanation. I am afraid the chaplain is unwell. If he isn't unwell, I don't know what he is. Upon my word, Paley, I can't congratulate you upon the figure Canterston Jail has cut during the past few days. I don't know what sort of report I shall have to make. The governor winced. When, a few minutes afterwards, the doctor entered, he began upon the subject at once. How is the chaplain, doctor? Dr. Livermore gave a curious glance about him. Then he shook hands with the inspector. Then he sat down. Taking off his hat, he wiped his brow. Well, anything wrong? The chaplain says he is bewitched. The governor looked at the inspector, and the inspector looked at him. Bewitched? said Mr. Paley. I told you the man was mad, the inspector muttered. Hush, the doctor whispered. Here he comes. Even as he spoke, the chaplain entered, leaning on the chief warder's arm. He advanced to the table at which the governor sat, looking Mr. Paley steadily in the face. Mr. Paley, I have to report to you that I have been bewitched. I am sorry to hear that, Mr. Hewart. He could not resist a smile, though I am afraid I do not understand exactly what you mean. It is no laughing matter. The chaplain's tone was cool and collected, more impressive than it used to be. The man whose name I believe is Oliver Mankell has bewitched me. He was the second man in the third row on my right-hand side in the chapel. I could make out that his number was B-27. He cast on me a spell. There was silence. Even the inspector felt that it was a delicate matter to accuse the chaplain outright of lunacy. An interruption came from an unexpected quarter, from the chief warder. It's my belief that man Mankell's been up to his games about those cells. The interruption was the more remarkable, because there was generally war, not always passive, between the chief warder and the chaplain. Everyone looked at Mr. Murray. "'What is this I hear about the cells?' asked Dr. Livermore. The governor answered, "'Yesterday the men were all locked in their night cells. This morning they were all locked out. That is, we found them all seemingly fast asleep.' each man in front of his cell door. They were all locked in except one man, and that man was Mankell, and he was the only man who was not locked out. Thus the chief warder. And do you suggest, said the doctor, that he had a finger in the pie? It's my belief that he did it all. Directly I set eyes upon that man, I knew there was something about him I couldn't quite make out. He did it all. Have you heard, sir, how he came to the gate? 
Mr. Murray was, in general, a reticent man. It was not his way to express decided opinions in the presence of authorities, or indeed of anyone else. Mr. Paley, who knew his man, eyed him with curiosity. What was there odd about that? why instead of the constable bringing him in, it was him who brought the constable when they opened the gate there was him with the policeman over his shoulder in spite of mr murray's evident earnestness there were some of his hearers who were unable to repress a smile do you mean that the constable was drunk that's the queer part of it it was john mitchell i've known him for two and twenty years i never knew him have a glass too much before i saw him soon afterwards he was all right then he said he only had three half pints he was quite himself till he got near the gate when all of a sudden he went queer all over possibly the ale was drugged suggested the doctor i don't know anything about that but I do know that the same hand that played that trick was the same hand that played the tricks with the cells. Consider a moment what you are saying, Murray. How are three hundred locks to be tampered with in the middle of the night by a man who is himself a prisoner? One moment. But even that is nothing compared to the feat of carrying three hundred men fast asleep in bed, bed and all, through three hundred closed doors, under the very noses of the officers on guard. Think of doing all that single-handed. It was witchcraft. When the chief warder said this, Major Hardinge exploded. Witchcraft! the idea of the chief warder of an english prison talking about witchcraft at this time of day it's quite time you were superannuated sir that man mankell certainly bewitched me bewitched you as the major faced the chaplain he seemed to find it difficult to restrain his feelings may i ask what sort of idea you mean to convey by saying he bewitched you I will explain so far as I am able. Chaplin paused to collect his thoughts. All eyes were fixed upon him. I intended to say something to the men touching the events of yesterday and this morning. As I came down to the altar rail, I was conscious of a curious sensation, as though I was being fascinated by a terrible gaze which was burning into my brain. I managed to pronounce the first few words. Involuntarily looking around, I met the eyes of the man Mankell. The instant I did so, I was conscious that something had passed from him to me, something that made my tongue utter the words you heard. Struggling with all my might, I momentarily regained the exercise of my own will, it was only for a moment, for in an instant he had mastered me again. Although I continued to struggle, my tongue uttered the words he bade it utter, until I suppose my efforts to repel his dominion brought on a kind of fit. That he laid on me a spell, I am assured. There was a pause when the chaplain ceased that he had made what he supposed to be a plain and simple statement of facts was evident. 
but then the facts were remarkable ones it was the doctor who broke the silence suppose we have the man in here so that we can put him through his facings the governor stroked his beard what are we going to say to him you can hardly charge him with witchcraft he's here because he has been pretending to magic powers the doctor started no is that so then i fancy we have the case in a nutshell that man is what old-fashioned people used to call a mesmerist hypnotism they call it nowadays and all sorts of things but mesmerism won't explain the cells i'm not sure of that at any rate it would explain the policeman who was suddenly taken queer let's have the man in here the whole thing is balderdash said the major with solemnity i am surprised as a man of sane and healthy mind to hear such stuff talked in an english prison to-day at least there will be no harm in our interviewing mr mankell murray see that they send him in here the chief warder departed to do the governor's bidding mr paley turned to the chaplain according to you mr hewart we are subjecting ourselves to some personal risk by bringing him here is that so you may smile mr paley but you may find it no laughing matter after all there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in man's philosophy you don't mean to say burst out the major that you a man of education a clergyman chaplain of an english prison believe in witchcraft it's not a question of belief it is a question of fact that the man cast on me a spell i am well assured take care that he does not do the same to you the governor smiled the doctor laughed the enormity of the suggestion kept the major tongue-tied till mankell appeared end of chapter two of the strange occurrences in canterston jail